It is good to be back with you today. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, I am Scott Siddig. I serve as the lead pastor here and uh, have done so now for a little over five years. But uh, we have worshipped in this church, in this facility for over 15 years now and uh, consider this home and home base. And that means something to me this week as we have spent a week away. Uh, for those of you that don't know, I was uh, at Lighthouse Christian Camp this week. Uh, it's about an hour west of here in Barker, New York, right on the lake. And um, myself and a couple of our family and um, my son and daughter-in-law were also there leading the teens. And uh, it was a fantastic week. We had a great time. Um, I stand before you uh, a little weary this morning. Um, I was in front of folks about 10 different times during the week and uh, speaking and teaching and getting to meet lots of new families and faces, and it was a beautiful time, beautiful time. And I love that song that uh, Andrew wrote, uh, just so you guys know, like the, he's so creative, so, so incredibly creative. Yeah, amen, right? Absolutely. But I love that because it, um, it evoked much of the theme that I worked through throughout the week. The theme where I was was dear friends. And um, we worked through John 15 and we talked about uh, how Jesus loved us and therefore we are to love others. Love each other as I have loved you. And how he called us friends in that journey uh, of relationship and getting to know him. And so... Such a beautiful song, just a beautiful song that kind of maybe put a little bit of a, a period at the end of my week, and so thank you, Andrew, for creating that song and singing it for us today. So I stand before you, um, I don't have any updates on the World Cup, sorry, uh, I resisted, I almost pulled it out to see if I could get an update because, you know, the U.S. always scores in the first six minutes, so I was waiting, to, but I didn't, I don't know. And don't tell me if you know, because... And guys in the back, no watching, all right? Paul, Joe, I'm watching you, all right? I know. World Cup's on at 11 o'clock, and I know where your minds go, so... All right. This morning, we are here together, and we are kicking off a new series. And I've been uh, looking forward to this series. Uh, We're calling this series Letters to Leaders. Uh, Letters to Leaders. We're going to be taking a look uh, over the course of the summer. It's kind of our summer series. We're going to be looking at 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus. And so we're going to be walking our way through those particular three letters. They're called the pastoral letters. And uh, we'll unpack that for just a few minutes, uh, in just a few minutes. But um, this series called Letters to Leaders is going to unlock some of the truths that were passed along to some young leaders in the the case of Timothy and one of the other leaders that Paul tapped to, to help him carry on his ministry when he couldn't be there, and that was Titus. And uh, what are some of the things that were written to these individuals? Now, as we unpack this, uh, we'll talk a little bit about some of the, the challenges of trying to figure out if Paul actually wrote the letter and all that kind of stuff. We'll, we'll talk about that in just a few minutes, but the high points that I want us to take away are not so much to get into the nitty-gritty of of whether or not Paul wrote the letter and who it was to and all that kind of stuff. There are some timeless truths that from the earliest days of the early church, they felt worthy of including in the canon of Scripture. And uh, these letters have been a part of the Scriptures since we know that they were kind of assembled and put together. 
And uh, there are some timeless truths that we can glean from them. And so I'm looking forward to unpacking that with you. And, and there'll be several different folks that are doing that over the course of the summer. Um, and uh, today I'm just kicking that off with us and, and getting us started. So I've titled today's message, That's Me. That's me. Letters to leaders, that's me. Let me ask you this question. How many of you consider yourself a leader? And this is interactive. I do need your response right now. So how many of you consider, uh, high hands, because the, the sort of leaders are down here. The real leaders are up here. So all right, who considers yourself a leader? All right. So not everybody raised your hands because maybe why? Why wouldn't you consider yourself a leader? Why wouldn't you consider yourself a leader if you didn't raise your hand? Not in an organizational title, right? I, I don't carry the title of leader or manager. Or I, I don't know. Some of us kind of equate leadership with some kind of a position. Ken Blanchard is a leadership guru. And Ken Blanchard, when he is um, doing leadership development trainings and seminars, he will also, also, uh, often gather a group of people together and their managers, their organizational types, and that sort of thing. And he will ask that question, how many of you consider yourself a leader? And he says oftentimes only about 20% of the group raise their hands. Because a lot of them that are sitting there are thinking uh, that my title is manager, or maybe I'm just a support person or whatever. And so they don't raise their hands. They don't consider themselves a leader. Now I want you to shift gears for a minute. And I want you to yell out. Think about somebody in your life that has influenced or impacted you. Yell out the name of that. It could be a first name. It could be a person. It could be like mom, dad, that kind of thing. Yell out. Who, who, who has influenced you in your life? All right. Not fair. No, fair enough. That's good. Who else? Delia. Hmm? Eric. Eric has influenced himself. Who else? Who else have we? My dad. My dad, absolutely. Who else have we been influenced by? A friend. We'll call that a friend, right? A friend. A neighbor. A pastor. Neighbor, pastor. Children, absolutely. Teachers. I heard Neymar. We're thinking soccer. I get that. That's good. Uncles, notice as you begin, as we, as if we were to keep going with this, how many of them have the title of leader in some capacity? There were a couple, right? There were pastors and maybe some teachers and that sort of thing. But how many of them didn't have that title? And yet they became for you some of the most influential people in your life. You see, there's a difference between influence and authority. And often the influencers have the greater impact. And so if I were to go back and ask you, who of you considers yourselves a leader, you might still not raise your hand, but I want you all to recognize that each of you has influence in somebody's life. Each of us have influence. And in fact, some of the greatest influences on your life have been from people who don't have any significant title. They're just the people that you walk with, that you talk with, your neighbor. I love that one, right? They're the people that you interact with. 
you see, you observe how they live their life. Influence is different than authority. And as we unpack this subject today, I want us to think about those life leadership people as opposed to just organizational people. Because these letters, if you were to read them, and I'm going to challenge you at the end of this message today to spend some time this summer reading through First and Second Timothy and Titus, I want you to read them. And it can very easily look like these letters were written to leaders. But the reality is that we all need to be looking inside of ourselves and realizing that we are the leaders that these letters were about. Let me just put these pastoral epistles in the context. Uh, Just a little bit of context. I encourage you to do your own study on them. Authorship of these letters is attributed to Paul. It says so in the beginning of the letters, right? It says that they were written to Timothy or to Titus, and it says that they were written by Paul. But they are part of 13 letters that were written in the New Testament, only seven of which are very historically tied to the Apostle Paul, and these three are not one of those seven. And so it's interesting when you actually read the whole letter, and, and I've read the, the letters, and, and there's, there is a, it sounds a little different to the ear. There's, there's a different emphasis, there's a different focus, but I'm not the scholar. Some scholars do believe that Paul actually wrote these letters. But there's a whole group of scholars out there that actually believe that these letters were written by somebody else and attributed to Paul. Unless you think that is unique in the entire canon of Scripture, that is not unique. In fact, there's Old Testament Scriptures that were written that way and there's New Testament Scriptures that were written that way. They were written by somebody else. They were attributed to that name, Paul, and based upon some teachings or things that he said or things that they had heard, they were then distributed out. And in these cases, these letters, they became part of the canon of Scripture. And so the early church believed that they were trustworthy enough to include in the canon of Scripture. All the way back to the first century, Irenaeus and Polycarp and Clement and others, they referenced these letters. And they said that they were, even if they weren't written by Paul, they were reliable to us. And so as we go through them, um, I want you to be thinking, right? This is Paul writing, maybe, sort of. But because of that, it also makes it hard to date them. If you believe that Paul wrote them and he wrote them by his own hand, then likely some of these letters were written in the mid-50s A.D., They were written by Paul as he was leaving one place and setting up shop in another place and writing back to Timothy or Titus. Um, But if you believe that maybe they weren't written by Paul, that they were written much later, then they could have actually been written in the late first century or in the first quarter of the second century. They could have been written much later in time and kind of pointing back. and, And part of what's going on in these letters is that the church is growing. The church is expanding. The church is reaching into new territories and they're encountering new issues. Does that sound a little bit like even today, right? As the church is growing and expanding and interacting with the culture and and the, the church is having to decide what do we stand for and how do we live and what are the right ways to live and what do we stand on and what do we let go of and, and how do we live? That's, that's the context for these letters. They're written 
to, they say they're written to individuals, but they're meant to be written and read in community. So that's the context. Um, Timothy, just so you know, you could learn about him in Acts. Uh, I think it's Acts chapter 16. You learn about kind of his origins. He was involved in uh, ministry to Ephesus with Paul. And uh, Paul sent Timothy back, or left him actually, in Ephesus to care for the growing church, the growing ministry that was evolving there. And Titus, as you read Titus, we'll actually read that in a few minutes, Titus was involved in ministry to Crete. These are young leaders, we would call them protégés, we, sh- we would say, of Paul. They were sent to carry on work that Paul had started. And so that's the context. You can do a lot more research, a lot more study on these pastoral epistles. They're fascinating in their study and, and what the scholars have uncovered. But we present them this summer, we present them in the context of this series as reliable, authoritative part of the canon and things that we can learn from. And I say the canon being the whole corpus of Scripture, the Old Testament, the New Testament. Amen? All right, so that's the context. 2 Corinthians 5.20, it was read for you just a little bit ago by Ben, in case you missed it, I'm going to draw it out for you. Uh, Verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. In just a few minutes, we're going to have an opportunity to take the communion elements, to receive them together. and, And it's all built around this idea of being reconciled to God. Because in order to be the leaders, the influencers that God has called us to be, we must be reconciled to him. But the emphasis in this particular passage is on this word ambassadors. Does anybody know what an ambassador is? The ambassador to different countries that goes out from the United States, at least from our context, right? They're ambassadors of all different countries. But at least here in the United States, we, we send out individuals. They go and they interact with, diplomatically, people in other parts of the world, in other parts of the globe, and we work out our relationships through our ambassadors. But as you go, as those ambassadors go, they are representatives of the American government. In other words, everywhere they go, they represent the interests of the American government, even above their own personal interests. If they sign up for that job, they are now going to become an ambassador of another part of the globe on behalf of the United States. That language is employed here as it it relates to us. As new creations in Christ, we become ambassadors on His behalf. We are now called to be a part of a new kingdom. A kingdom that is not of this world. A kingdom, the kingdom of God we call it. And as ambassadors... We carry forth his message. As ambassadors, we begin to be the influencers that God needs us to be to transform the world around us. And so part of the message this morning is to embrace the fact that we are influencers. We are the ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Lest you think it becomes something that only pastors do. Or lest you think that somehow or another your job is different than the role of leaders in a church or leaders this, leaders that. Like, No, we are all part of something that we learned about uh, through the Reformation and Martin Luther called the priesthood of all believers. 
going back to the 16th century and the beginning, the, the formation, the beginning of the Reformation, where Martin Luther kind of looked at what had become of the church and how institutionalized the church had become and how organized it was and how separate it was. There was sort of the the priests and the and the monks and the leaders of the church and then there was the people and the laity and there was kind of this grand separation and you couldn't have access to God without going through these individuals and and Martin Luther came along and said no that's that's not what I see in the pages of scripture called to be I don't know if you can read it up there but Paul Athaus says Luther never understands the priesthood of all believers merely in the sense of Christian's freedom to stand in direct relationship to God without a human mediator. Rather, the, he the constantly emphasizes, he constantly emphasizes the Christian's evangelical authority to come before God on behalf of the brethren and also of the world. The universal priesthood expresses not religious individualism, but its exact opposite. The reality of the congregation as a community. So the priesthood of all believers, we have to be careful not to turn it into something so individualistic that somehow or another, I don't need the church or I don't need my community. I don't. It's not about that. It's about the fact that as individuals who have been saved, who have been called, who have been set apart, who are under this new creation and in part of this new kingdom, we become part of a community and we all are on that same mission and have that same opportunity to interact with and love Jesus Christ and help others in that journey and in that process to pray for them, to to help them, to serve them, to, to aid them when they're needing something. We are all part of the priesthood of believers. And so the challenge for us today, the challenge for us as we launch this particular sermon series is to begin to recognize that you and I are part of the leadership that Jesus Christ has called to lead His church. And we're not here looking out elsewhere and trying to figure out who's going to take us somewhere. We are a part of this journey together. All of us are leaders. The things that we will learn and study together, we are all part of that journey together. And so we need to begin to embrace our role in that. What role do I have to play in the world around me? What influence am I providing to my children, to my grandchildren, to my nieces, to my nephews, to my friends, to my neighbors? What influence am I providing? Am I drawing them closer to Christ? Am I leading them away from Christ? We need to overcome any hesitancy that we have in that journey. We need to be looking recognizing, be on the lookout for regular, everyday, normal opportunities. It might be standing in the grocery aisle at Wegmans or wherever you shop. It might be walking down the street when you're walking your dog and interacting with that person that's standing outside. Or it might be wherever. Your job, grabbing coffee. It might be uh, going out to eat, seeing somebody, talking with the waiter, the waitress. What are those everyday normal opportunities that you have to share the good news of Jesus Christ, to help, to aid, to give support, to extend that love that Christ has given to you. We need to be prayerful. Pray that our hearts would be willing. Pray that we would be more aware of the opportunities 
And then look around each other and encourage one another because this is something that is communal. This is not something where I'm a lone ranger and I'm out there doing my priesthood of believers thing, right? It's not about that. It's about the communal nature of living as ambassadors together for Jesus Christ in the world that needs to hear and know who He is. The question becomes not if I am a leader, but when and where and how will I be a leader and how will God use me to influence the world around me? Let's just read real briefly. I'm going to highlight Titus chapter 2, verses 2 through 8, because there's an interesting element of leadership that kind of comes out of these particular verses. It says, Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. In case you're wondering, culturally, older men were. 56 and older. That is kind of borne out through the study of history. And there was this sense that uh, once you reach the age of 56, you graduated into older categories. If you were 21 and younger, you were a kid. If you were 21 to 28, you were a young man or woman. If you were 28 to 49, you were considered full-grown man, woman. From 49 to 56, you were elderly and then 56 and over, you're just old. That's, that's how they, I'm sorry, that's just the truth. That's, that's what you were known as. So that's the context here. Uh, the author of Titus, Paul, we'll call him, uh, is talking to Titus and he's telling him to talk to those 50-something people. That older generation And he's saying, I want them to be, you need to teach them to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and endurance. In other words, they're to set the pace. They're to be the, the people that we look to for how we are to live. Likewise, teach the older women, same context for the age, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live. Not to be slanderous or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children and to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the Word of God. It might be a little hard to hear that in our culture and in our context. And I don't want you to read into it something that's not there. We're not talking about women in leadership and ministry and all that kind of stuff. We're talking about how to live decently and in order relationally with one another. And it will look a little bit different in our context and in our culture. Because we understand these household codes. These, these household codes were coming out of a Greek and, a, and a, a Greek culture that put a high emphasis on kind of an authoritative structure. And so the author here is trying to emphasize that That we as the church, we don't want to go so far outside of the norms that we begin to create these waves and and that the church gets maligned for something that it it doesn't need to be maligned for. But it it looks a little different and, and we'd have to unpack and we've talked here a lot about the whole idea of women in leadership and women in ministry. We'd have to unpack. That's a whole separate issue. So don't read that into this. What I want you to read into this is the generational transfer of knowledge 
of understanding of relationships. There is a generational transfer happening. Older men and older women teaching younger women. And then here, teaching the younger men. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned. Here he's talking to Titus. So that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Because the way we live matters. Because the way we conduct ourselves matters. I've heard on more than one occasion, somebody will, will come to me, somebody who's young, newly married, whatever, and they will say, I just, I just wish there was somebody that would come alongside me and tell me how to do this. Because I don't get marriage. Meg, I want to hear Amen. Come alongside me. Help me out. That's what the writer here, Paul, is telling Titus. Like, teach these things. You who are older, you have wisdom to pass along to those who are younger. You who are younger, take some time to learn from those who are older. Their ways might be different, but they're still valuable. There's wisdom, there's knowledge to be gained. And this intergenerational transfer of Wisdom and knowledge becomes huge to how the church is meant to grow. How the church is meant to expand. How the church is meant to be lived out among us. We have to work together. One of the beautiful things this last week out at Lighthouse Christian Camp, one of the, the really the most beautiful thing, because there's a lot of pretty things, but probably the most beautiful thing was the age span. There was one guy riding by in his golf cart. There's a lot of golf carts out there. There's one guy riding by in his golf cart, and he stopped me, and I don't know him, never met him, learned his name was Marion, learned later his name was Marion Pheasant. That's just a great name. He just started talking for no apparent reason. All right, I'm the camp speaker, maybe, maybe like he was trying to engage me. That was great, but... As I was talking to him, I I was thinking, he just really wants to talk. And as I got to hear him, 92 years old. 92 years old. And he's bopping around the camp, doing great things. But I also learned that his wife is in a nursing home with Alzheimer's. She's 93. They've been married 74 years. 74 years. It's a beautiful thing. And as he's talking about his wife, he just he can't help but choke up because he misses her. She's not there with him at the camp. And they've always done camp together. And he chokes up. and He's there when he's not at camp. He's there three times a day, all week long, every day. He cares for her. And, but the care just got beyond what he could offer. I don't think I met anybody older than that there, but... Um, that's old enough, right? That, that is old. I'll give you that. That is old. But a beautiful, beautiful picture. And then there was the next generation down. And there's the next generation. I met people who came up to me and said, I worked with your grandmother. I taught school with your grandmother. Churchville, Child, or Churchville Elementary School. Mrs. Reber taught school with my grandmother. Wow, that's pretty cool too, right? And then the next generation down and their kids and 
Finally, we get to the generation that I, I remember a little bit, right? And I actually went to school with a lot of the, that generation, or I went to church with them, or whatever. And, and I was able to remember and draw out stories of, of being taught Sunday school by Marge McGinnis, whose husband just passed this last year. And um, here I am teaching my teacher, you know, throughout the week. What a, it was... It was like a little time-warped slice of Americana. That's all it was. I, I can't even put it in words. It was, it was a beautiful thing, but all the way down, I was able to baptize a couple of 12-year-old kids this week. And this one young lady, her name was Mia. She's just uh, so full of energy. So full of energy. The Lord's got His hand on her life. And there were kids being carried around and kids on hips and all kinds of stuff. It was the full spectrum. The full spectrum. Intergenerational. And um, that's really what's at play in these particular verses. What do we need to be passing along? How do we embrace the full intergenerational aspect of leadership, of influence, of growing in faith, growing in our lives, growing practically? We are all part of it. Just, I want to close with these next steps before we lead into communion. The next steps here are, uh, this summer, I am going to challenge you to read First and Second Timothy and Titus. You could do it before you leave church. They're not long, right? Don't start right now because we're going to do communion. But literally, you can do that. Just read them multiple times. Read them over and over. See what stands out to you. There's some tough stuff in Timothy. 1 Timothy 2, read that one, 11 to 14. You're going to be challenged by it. This passage, Titus chapter 2, you might be challenged by that. There's some other stuff in these letters that you're going to be challenged by. And I encourage you to set aside some time. Find somebody to talk about that stuff. Find somebody to to have some conversations with. Because that's about building community. And maybe don't just have conversations with your friend. Pull somebody aside that might be a generation above you. Go out to dinner. Go out to lunch with somebody who's a a generation different than you and hear what their perspectives are. Because I got an earful this week from that generation that's one and two above me about the state of our world and where things are heading and all kinds of stuff. And I I welcomed that. It It was a great conversation. More conversations. So read these throughout the summer. Pull people aside. And then for each of us, I want you to embrace what God has called you to be and to do as a leader. As you read that, it's not just a letter to church leaders. It's not just a letter to pastors or bishops or deacons or whatever. It's not just a letter set aside for those who are going to be in leadership because we are all part of that leadership and we are all called to be part of that so that's really the message today that's why i said it's me that's me letters to leaders is about you and me reaching out and being the influence that christ has called us to be and we're going to learn a lot through these letters over the course of the summer about what that looks like I'm going to pray and then I'll invite a couple of individuals up and we will receive communion because what we want to do, as I said earlier, is to be reconciled to God. How do I live into 
that leadership that Christ has called me to? How do I live into it if I'm not reconciled with Him? And communion is one of those ways that we reconnect with Jesus Christ. We reconnect with His life, His death, and His resurrection. We reconnect with His purpose, why He walked on the earth. We reconnect with our resulting purpose to share in remembrance of all that He's done for us. And so that becomes the journey of communion for us to be reconciled to Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we consider these words, Lord, as we consider that You have called us to be influencers, in fact, leaders within our spheres of influence, as we consider that You have ordained us and strengthened us and empowered us to lead Your church together, corporately, in community with one another, Lord, I pray that over the course of our time investing in these letters, that we will learn the principles, the truths, the doctrines, the the theology and, and the perspectives, but also the relational components of love and grace and mercy and how to have communication with one another. I pray, Lord, that you will open our ears and our eyes. Help us to understand what it means to be leaders in your world. Lord, we... We love you, we praise you, we thank you for this opportunity today. And now as we turn our hearts towards communion, Lord, I pray that you will come and inhabit this space in a unique way right now. Through your body, through your blood, we remember the sacrifice that you made for us. We remember what You did for us on the cross. We remember Your incarnation coming and walking on this earth and being one of us. We remember that You came with mission and purpose. And we remember this morning, Lord Jesus, all that You did for us while You were here, but ultimately that it pointed to this. This act of remembrance. This sacrifice of Your body, the shedding of Your blood for the forgiveness and the remission of our sins and I pray Lord that each and every one of us will take stock of that this morning forgive us where we need to be forgiven touch our hearts and renew us in ways that need to be renewed and help us Lord to join with you in this divine moment this divine sacrament where somehow by the power of your Spirit you are present in some unique and special way. And we pray your blessing and your anointing upon this time together. In Jesus' name.